This is Dr. James Crosby, Head of Sustainability at Advantage Utilities. I'd like to ask, could your organisation be more of an energy sector hero? Are you interested in improving your sustainability as a business? Well, now you can obtain the expert view and guidance on renewable energy solutions, on-site generation, carbon accounting, and sophisticated grid energy purchasing options through Advantage Utilities. Our team of experts use the latest tools to better analyse, track and reduce your organisation's energy usage and carbon emissions. To find out how Advantage Utilities can become your one-stop shop for all your energy and sustainability needs, please visit www.advantageutilities.com or give one of our passionate and friendly team a call on 0208-131-4747. Hi there, and welcome back to the Energy Sector Heroes podcast. My name is Michelle Fraser, and every week I will speak with incredible people who share their lessons, experiences, and stories from their time spent in the energy sector. Hi there, and welcome back to the Energy Sector Heroes podcast. My name is Michelle Fraser, and every week I will be speaking with incredible people who share their lessons, experiences, and stories from their time spent in the energy sector. Today I am with Barry Jones. Barry is an incredible offshore installation manager with over 30 years experience in the energy sector. Barry, would you like to introduce yourself? Thank you, Michelle, for such a fantastic introduction. That's probably lifted my day. Yes, it's good to be on. It's good to speak to you and it's good to share my experiences with your listeners. Like I say, I've been in the offshore energy and telecommunications sector for almost 30 years now, working at a a variety of different places and different positions and different parts of the world. so. So how did you get started in the energy sector? By accident, completely by accident. It wasn't something I was looking to do, to be fair. At the time, I was transitioning between roles, between industries, I suppose, or careers, really. I just finished doing HNC in electrical and electronic engineering because I just needed something, some kind of a, a qualification behind myself to try and to try and make my way in a different direction in the world. And I remember at the time my parents told me that everybody needs their plugs wired. So that's why I did that. Obviously, it's a slightly different level of, of education than simply wiring a plug. But I do remember a job appeared that they were looking for someone round about my age with HNC and that was it. And I went along to the interview and I was lucky enough to, to land the role. But at the time, I had no idea what I was getting into at all. So it was, it was a complete fortunate or unfortunate, depending which way you look at it, turn in my life, which just led me to uh, to the doors of of what was what was at the time Dunlop Coflexip, which is now Duke Umbilicals in, uh, in Newcastle upon Tyne. Interesting. Have you had any role models during your career and why did you find them inspirational? Yeah, definitely. I mean, as a youngster, when you're entering into a new um, a new area for the first time, you're kind of looking around for people to see who who know the ropes. And at the time, we had a number of individuals, and they were basically the clients that we were working for at the time, who seemed to have a good grasp on what was going on in the world. And to me at the time, without really understanding what was going on offshore, it seemed a very interesting place to be. The, these guys knew what they were doing. They were confident and they were competent about the field of, of engineering, which is where they sat. 
they had a charisma about them based on the respect that they could gain and garner um, in the room. And when they were talking, you were listening every single time and they seemed to have an answer and the ability to be, stay calm under enormous amounts of pressure, which I thought was incredibly inspiring. So there was a, I think at the time, I, I vaguely remember the names a long time ago, and I don't even know if the guys are still around, to be fair, but I don't really remember many of the names, the full names, but certainly some of the beginning, some of their their, um, their Christian names I do. And I remember looking towards them thinking, if I can get there, then I've made it. And they used to impart knowledge to, to me and probably to others around me as well uh, about the levels of exp- expectation that was required from them in their position, which at the time I thought I'd never get to. But then you realise that as you start to progress through through your career and through your um, subsequent education and gaining more and more knowledge, you realise that you're actually picking up that, that that level of experience and expertise, which you could then impart on, on those coming behind as well. But I never actually thought there would be anybody coming behind me. I always thought there was more experience and older people ahead of me. So I think throughout my entire career, I've always looked to other people to see what can I learn from you? Where do you sit within the realms of what's going on and, and, and how do I compare? So yeah, I've always had Idols is probably not the right way of explaining them, but certainly people to look up to and look up towards and learn from. And a couple of them have taken on roles of being my effectively my mentor. Yeah, most definitely. I think it's important, really. I think it really is important to be able to identify those kind of people in the right way and understand exactly what they're doing. And they did really help colour my perspective on how to operate within what is really a complicated world. Okay, thanks. You sound a lot like me, actually. Here's a question for you. What is the most challenging thing about your current role and how do you handle it? Because obviously I know OIM is quite an important role and one of the most important roles offshore. Yeah, so my my role, just to, to make people aware, is I'm, I'm responsible for the installation activities within a group of people. So for the projects that we work on, the the, the, the division of responsibility is set per what we're doing offshore. For example, we've got cables going in. We're doing a lot of stuff in renewables right now, so cables and turbines and, and structures and the burial operations are going on. Now, my project at the moment is over in Taiwan, so a lot of the issues that we face here, and I've faced before with, with the different projects, is the cultural understanding of what needs to be done. If you're working solely in the UK or you're working solely in France or Germany or anywhere else in the world, you kind of get used to the cultures associated with those regions those countries and those reasons. But then when you extricate yourself and start to work in different parts of the world, you've really got to take on board the fact that the cultures may be different and embrace them. You can't fight against them. You can't push against them. And you certainly can't impose your own cultural cultural biases and balances onto somebody else's. So I've done it before, so it's, it's not too bad, but I do know a number of the individuals that have, have done this in different parts of the world for the first time have struggled. I probably did as well when I very first started out, but certainly in, in this instance, one of the biggest challenges that I've seen is with those people that work around us, our subcontractors and our colleagues, sometimes not really understanding that we need to understand and learn the culture of where we are and what we're doing in order to be able to work more effectively and efficiently going forward. And the time it takes to get there is time easing into the project. So it can cause raised stresses i think is probably the best way of saying it as the schedule becomes a little bit more condensed but that really has been the biggest challenge that i've faced on on this particular project along with 
something which I've never had to deal with before, not many people have, is we've operated this and we've done the vast majority of the work on this project in the middle of a global pandemic. That has, has really been strange, very, very difficult, difficult and very different to anything that we've ever encountered before. So every day we're learning something completely new, and that's everybody from all aspects of the project team to the subcontractors and everybody around us. We're trying to operate within the realms of something which we don't understand because that's not what our roles are. And we're trying to react to how everybody else is reacting to this awful virus that's been going around. So it's been it's been tricky in some instances, especially I've been doing this for such a long time, you can take experiences and go, oh, yes, okay, I know how to deal with the cultural changes of working in somewhere like Taiwan because I've worked in West Africa and I've worked in South America and North America and all these different places in Russia. But certainly when you then impose upon that a global pandemic, which is completely different, I've never done that before, it, it can be a little bit of a challenge. But to be fair, that challenge would have been exactly the same if we were working off the east coast of the UK. It's just the, the distance that we're dealing with, the time zones that we're dealing with, the cultures that we're dealing with, and the way in which they're managing the pandemic has been different from anything that we've witnessed before. So it has been a huge learning curve for all of us. Mm-hmm. I agree, actually. I just wondered, how does your current role compare to your aspirations as a young boy? Oh, that's a good one. I some I I've never really taken the time to look back to go right. Where did I where where did I want to be at this point? Um, I don't think it was here. <laughs> I, to be honest, I I always thought all right. I need to be a better engineer, and I need to be better at what I do, and I need to get better. And I've never thought I've actually got there. So there's always a learning curve. But I'd never thought at, at age X I need to be doing Y. I've I've had opportunities placed in front of me, and I've taken a lot of them and I've turned a lot of them down in order to try and understand exactly where I need to be and what I need to do. I think the biggest change that's happened over the years is my understanding of our impact. So I think when you start out as a youngster, specifically myself, you're kind of looking to see how much money you can make, what kind of car you can have and how how that is where you're measuring your success. But as time has gone on, we realize the impact that we're having on the world around us. And you start to think, actually, as an engineer, we've got a a, a greater obligation to what we could possibly do and do things slightly better, which has helped me become a better engineer, most definitely. But it's probably not where I thought I wanted to be when I first started out, if if I'm perfectly honest. But then I guess as we we move through life, we, we constantly change our targets and our aspirations. So... And I think at my age, 30 years in, I think I'm still changing them. (laughs) I hope so. Otherwise, I'll become very stale. I just wondered, what makes an outstanding hire, in your opinion, obviously? Yeah. I mean, when I started, I I started interviewing people to take into positions many years ago when I took over engineering management roles and departmental management roles. And I think you, you, you lean a lot on the CV and you, you, you look very much at the qualifications and you look at the ability of the individual bringing into the, into the group. But often what you forget and you kind of pick it up with experience is that the kind of person that you're bringing in is vitally important. So you need to find a balance between the two. Initially, we would look at CVs and say, oh, this guy's got a master's degree, so he must be better by definition than the person with a bachelor's degree, and so on and so forth, which is not necessarily the case. There's strengths and weaknesses across the board for every single individual. And once you realize that everybody's got a weakness, well, you don't specifically ask them that, you understand they do have a weakness. It's where they fit into the group of people that you've already got and the group of people that you want to build. At one company I worked for, 
purely by accident, we, we managed to find ourselves in a position where we were recruiting a number of female engineers. It wasn't something which we'd specifically gone out to do, but we realized that while we were talking to the individual candidates as they were coming in, that the fit between them all was better with the ones we ended up selecting, which all, well, I'd say about 60, 70% of them ended up being female. Once we'd got everybody in place and we were working very closely together, a lot of individuals from inside and outside the company were starting to make comments about our recruitment policy in the department as to the number of females that we had. It's not something we really noticed. We just wanted to bring in individuals that could fit between nicely in the group. So from a social perspective, as well as from an educational perspective, so they could bring in their experience, they could bring in their character really into the department. So you're kind of building... You, you, instead of building individuals that you think can do the job, you're building a, a group of people that could that could complement each other really going forward building a job. We've I've subsequently done that in different places as I've gone on and found it's probably the best way of recruiting. Sometimes you'll look at CVs and think on on paper this one looks fantastic compared to this, but talk to them both, and you'll realise the character that comes through on the conversation that you have with an individual is probably the one that you really want to put the star on and go that's the one I want and that's the one I want to fight for regardless. Of where they come from. I do believe education is vitally important, especially at the engineering level, but I, I, I certainly believe as well that we also need to bring in the, the life experience that individuals have managed to bring, bring to the table and their character and the way in which that character, character can also develop amongst a group of people that you've already got. So it becomes a bit of a complicated bit of a, um, bit of a game, but not something I think you can put on a spreadsheet, which I've seen people do before. They'll, they'll, identify recruits as they put them on a spreadsheet and score them particularly with regard to, in some instances, where they've gone to, to, to study, what they've studied. Um, and I don't think that's quite the right way of doing it because you certainly need to have a human touch when you're talking to individuals to understand exactly which ones that you want. And we've done that, or I've done that in, in different places. And so far, touch wood, it's worked really well. And it's something I would say to people, if you if you want the best people, you need to talk to them and understand what exactly is driving them what their life experiences are, where they've been, how they've managed to get themselves into the position they're doing at the moment and where they see themselves going. And if that fits the narrative of what you've got within your group that you're trying to put together, like a, like a sports team, then you're on to a winner. Excellent. What is the most challenging thing about your job? Because there must be loads. Yeah. Be quite a lot. Time. We never have enough time. <laughs> and um, it, it's... Uh, it's something which has always been an issue. And to be honest, when I started, it was something I stressed over is the schedule. We, we, we have to get th- everything's everything's done by the schedule. People talk about the money. People talk about everything that needs to be delivered and to be done, but it's all based on a schedule. So if we're looking at doing things in 10 days and the vessel costs £100,000 a day, there's your schedule pressures to bring that down down even further to save some money. So the schedule has always been an issue. And when you're working globally with different parts of the world, there's always somebody up doing something at certain times. When I started in in the engineering engineering part of what I do, I I stressed so much about what was going on in different parts of the world to the extent that I was almost up 24 hours just trying to keep control of what was happening. And you can't do that. You really can't do that. It's not a healthy place to be. So understanding and managing the the schedule pressures has always been one of the biggest problems that I've found in this specific, it's probably exists in other industries, but certainly in our industry where the costs can be so, can be so high if you get it wrong. It it, it has been something which has 
taken me longer to come to terms with and longer to learn, I think, more than anything else. And then once you realise you've got a better handle on the schedule than you first thought because you understand what's going on more, it becomes easier. It really becomes easier. And then you realise what you can and can't do to either manipulate the schedule, to work within the schedule, or to work within the individuals that work within the same schedule. I had a conversation with someone only a couple of weeks ago who was so stressing about the schedule that they were dealing with that it was colouring their judgment and colouring their decision-making process going forward. And that's really where you need to try and try and lift yourself out of that one. So you're dealing with and managing or being able to manage the schedule with everybody around you because you can't do it on your own has been one of the hardest things that I've had to come to terms with because there's nothing that you've done in the past before that can really prepare you for, for dealing with the pressures that come with a schedule that's really slipping away. Thank you. I just wondered, and this is an interesting question, have you had any career disasters and how have you handled them? <laughs> yeah, all the time. Yeah, because you're making decisions yourself based on what you think you want to do from one one stage to the next. And and sometimes you'll make a decision for the wrong reasons, but don't realise at the time. It might be money. It might be location. It might be status or prestige or the project. Or you might have been won over by someone who's got a really silver tongue to say, yeah, this is you're fantastic and this is what you need to do. And very quickly, you'll find yourself in a position where you think, this, is not, I, this isn't me. I, I'm, I'm not enjoying this. This is not right. What do I do now? That's from a personal perspective. And again, that's not something which you can learn from school or college or university. That's the kind of thing that you learn as you're, as you're growing through the industry. And then obviously, you, do, you then find yourself sometimes in positions on a project or on a task at hand where everything is going wrong. And you, you, everybody around you is kind of disappearing because they can and you're left alone to try and figure out what you need to do going forward. And I've done that a couple of times on projects where I found myself so determined not to let it fail that you're kind of on this weird crusade to ensure that you can come out the other side whole again. And that's very, very difficult to try and to try and maintain. Uh, there was a project that we, we did a few years ago. Actually, I can't remember how long ago. It must have been more than 10 years ago where we were actually working in Russia and the project was over, in, over off Sakhalin, off the island of Sakhalin. And I was heading up the technical management portion of what we were doing. I was flying in and out of Moscow in meetings with the, with the client constantly. And it was very difficult to try and grasp what was technically required of us and to deal with the culture, which was completely alien to what we'd done in the past before to understand how they deal with things and a different language and everything else that was going on at the same time. And because it was, and also, as I'd mentioned slightly earlier in our discussion, the schedule was so incredibly tight because of, of the weather constraints of working over there. That it was very difficult to try and maintain my sanity during that entire process. And I think throughout the entire project, I could feel my health was taking a bit of a hit, but because there was nobody to look to, I didn't have a mentor, I didn't have anybody above me really. And that other than the project manager who was also struggling we just had to keep going. And it was primarily, we kept going because of the young, the relatively young team we had around us. Thankfully, we came out the other end whole, but it, it, it gave me a, a fantastic opportunity to look at that and go, God, how would we do that again? And I do remember saying to some of the individuals that we were working with at the time, some of the project team who were struggling to keep them going was, you'll look back at this and smile, or you'll look back at this and learn a massive, huge lesson in how you can deal with similar situations that you find yourself in because you can sometimes just walk into these things without realizing what's about to happen and you're left carrying the can or, or, or holding the baby really and it's tricky it's a tricky situation to try and navigate yourself through 
but you do really have to look back at these things and take the positives from the negative situation you find yourself in and, and learn from it. But certainly trying to identify those before they arrive is something which comes with time. It's not something that I would expect a graduate engineer or somebody new into the industry to be able to, be able to identify within the first few years of their working in this industry, but certainly to talk to those around, listen to their stories and see if you can identify something which is coming up, which you can then avoid or manage slightly better than we have in the past. So it's a, it's a tricky one. I, I certainly tailor my decisions slightly differently now, my personal decisions. I do spend a bit more time thinking about them. And if someone comes to me and says, I need a decision by tomorrow, and I feel like I'm being rushed, then I'll more than happily walk away. It's not the end of the world. You have to grasp every opportunity that comes. You can sometimes leave them go. <laughs> well, that's really good advice, actually. Thank you. What is your zone genius? What are you good at? Oh, I'm, I'm pretty self-deprecating, so I'm not easy. I'm not, I'm not easy to identify where my strengths are. However, I learn quickly because I have to. It's it's a, it's a it's a strange one. I never thought myself a good engineer, never, because I always looked around me to find those that were better. And I think someone said a long time ago, if you find yourself in a room and you're the smartest person, you're in the wrong room. And I think by accident, I've often found myself in the right room, <laughs> surrounded by people that are a lot. Uh, smarter, more intelligent, and knowledgeable of the world around them from an engineering perspective than I am. And I'm fortunate to have been around those people, really. And I've learned a lot from them. And it doesn't take long to be able to take a step back to realize how you've progressed. And I think that self-analysis is is vital and something which I've become better at over the years that I can take a step back and go, okay, I'm, I'm looking okay there. That's looking good. I could do with a bit more improvement in this area, but I'm fairly happy with how that's working. My ability to be able to deal with people has, has also got better. And these are the things that I've learned by being in the industry. So I can manage individuals. I can be managed by individuals. I can work alongside different individuals quite well too. So I think those are the those two areas, my ability to be able to take a step back and, and identify exactly where I need to strengthen or where I'm okay or good enough. And my ability to be able to work with, around, under and over different individuals as well. Two things which I know that I've got good at or better at, but I, I never consider myself to be good at anything because I always think that I can get better, if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. If that makes any sense because you, you, get, you can get to a point where you go, right, I'm, that's it, I'm done, I'm good there, let's move on to something else. But you haven't quite mastered that really, have you, Mr. Jones? You need to be better there. You need to concentrate a bit more because the world is changing. And I think it's also important for us to understand, especially from an engineering perspective in energy and offshore and subsea, it's never going to end. It's going to keep going and it's going to keep getting better because we have to make it better. We have to make it cleaner. We have to make it cheaper. We have to definitely make it safer, but we have to keep getting better, which means that we're never going to be good enough. We've always got to be striving to go that little bit further, if that makes sense. It does. It's like a really good message, actually. In a working environment, who do you always depend on? The guys around me, guys and girls around me, to be fair. I used to think oh, I have to rely on on the senior individual because the hierarchy takes takes king. But sometimes I find myself in positions where I'm looking towards the hierarchy and the way in which the hierarchy is being, is being done is because that person's an excellent manager but doesn't necessarily always understand the intricate details of what we're trying to do. And I'll look to the left or right of me and there might be an engineer 
and sometimes below me, there might be an engineer that just just knows that specific task that we've got a problem with much better than anybody else. And that's who I'm going to rely on. That's who I'm going to look towards. That's who I'm going to lean on. And I'm hoping that they're doing the same as well. So as a team, a collective team altogether, we can kind of work very, very well between ourselves in order to make sure that we're finding the task solution in the most effective and efficient and safest way possible. So, yeah, and that goes back to the question you asked me before about how to recruit and, and what we're looking for. And that's why I tend to want to try and bring the right characters in so that we can do it this way. I don't want someone who's going to just hoard the information around them and then drip feed bits and pieces out there when they ask a specific question. It's important that we all discuss and talk and, and share and understand the problem so that we can all fix it because there's no one person who's going to fix the issues that we're dealing with. Is going to come from a culmination of working in a, a good a good team in order to do that. So I very much rely on the people I build around me and the people I'm working alongside. Sometimes they're built around me, and sometimes they're built either side of me. But that's really where I look to. And you do when you talk into them. Everybody has deficiencies, myself included, and you understand where their weaknesses and their strengths lie, and you can fill in the blanks as best you possibly can and make the team much better than the individuals that's inside them. Okay, thank you. What work do you always delegate? Oh, that's a tough one. I don't think there's one type of work that I delegate. I think it's more a case of how, and this goes back again to the, the problems with the schedule or the problems with time, that ticking clock that's always going in the background. I'll, I'll primarily delegate something if it's going to take too much of my time out for something else, which I would consider to be much more important. So, for a, for a good example, if I've got a particular problem that I'm trying to deal with, that I know that I can, that I know that's my responsibility in order to make sure that that problem is, is no longer an issue. If something else comes alongside, which is either just as important, but I know that somebody else can do it on my behalf, that's what I'll delegate. Because there's, you, know, you have that conflicting schedule coming along. I do know in the past before, I've tried to do both because it's been given to me. And therefore, it's mine. And that's that's very much an, a, a growing and an understanding perspective of what we're doing as engineers is, yes, I can prove how good I am by doing everything. Well, that doesn't really work that way. So if I believe by being honest with myself that the task at hand that I'm doing requires 100% of my effort for the next four or five days, that's what I need to do. And if anything else comes along, which is just as important, but I just simply cannot fit it in, I'll find the right person to do that on my behalf. But I've always, I've always understood, because I've always been taught that, yes, I can, I can delegate the authority for that individual to do that on my behalf, but the responsibility still resides with myself. So I can't just leave it. I can't just give it to a person and say, right, there you go. It's all yours. I, I forget about that now. It still needs to be part of me. Although I'm still operating on task one at 100%, I'm no longer doing that. I'm operating at task one at 99%. And I've got to then make sure that whoever's been delegated still has my full support in order to do what they're intending to do, because they may not be able to do it on their own. They may need two or three people, or they may not fully understand it. So they need a little bit of guidance going forward. But that's that's the kind of thing. So it's not a case of if I get a calculation coming through for for lay tensions for example for cable or umbilical or pipe or whatever we're doing at the time and oh, i can't be bothered to do that calculation i'm going to give it to x no i don't i don't do that i don't do that it's got to be within the the, the greater realms of what we're doing at that particular moment in time and if i've got the time i'll i'll, I'll do it similarly if i've got on for the opposite side if i've got too much time on my hands 
And that sometimes happens when you're sitting around kicking, kicking your heels about because everybody's busy, but you're kind of just overseeing things. Then what I'd like to do then is delegate myself to the individuals to ensure that they understand exactly what they're doing. Because sometimes they just need a little bit of the experience that I've gained over the years that someone's given to me that I need to then give to them. This is how we do this. This is why we do this. And this is what, what we're looking for in order to, to, to bring it through. So sometimes I can look to delegate something to an individual as part of a learning process because it's good for them. I don't just give it to them and walk away. I give it to them and I give them my time as well because that was what was done to me and I learned that from a number of individuals over the years. Excellent. My closing question, if you could turn back time, would you change anything? <laughs> Personally or professionally? <laughs> no. Neither. Um, <laughs> There were a couple of decisions I'd made in the past before, which I thought well, I should have gone the other way. But that said, really, the experiences gained from the decisions I've, I've followed have helped going forward. So it's a nice idea to think that you can go back and change things. But because you can't, I don't go there, if that makes any sense. Yeah, it does. Well, that's all the questions I have today. I would like to thank Barry for your time. That brings us to the end of another episode. Thanks for listening and see you next week. That brings us to the end of another episode. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, I'd like to gently encourage you to leave a five-star rating wherever you listen to podcasts and share the show with another person. You can also follow me on LinkedIn or via my website, www.michellefraserconsultancy.com. Thanks again for listening and see you next week.